Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And on today's show, I talk to Starla Garcia. Starla is one heck of a runner. First of all, she ran at the University of Houston and has done amazing things even since then. She has uh, run a number of marathons and just is super duper fast. However, just like last episode, that is not the focus of our conversation. This is uh, of a mental health week here on the Rambling Runner podcast. And Starla dives into eating disorders, not only from her perspective as a registered dietitian, um, but also her own experience with eating disorders. So we touch on both sides of it and also the juxtaposition of someone who's a dietitian having an eating disorder, which is just a fascinating concept in and of itself because her job is to know the positive benefits of food. And that was something that she struggled with because ultimately it wasn't about the food for her. It was about a lot of other things which led to her eating disorder. So with that being said, I hope you like this episode with Starla. In addition, if you haven't done so already, please go to my Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash rambling runner. Lots of new content going up on there over the summer, and I hope you like what you see over on that site. But with that said, we're going to dive into this episode with Starla Garcia. Hello, Starla, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. Um, kind of nervous, but looking forward to the conversation today. Oh, don't be nervous. You're a little rock star, man. I like. I love following you on Instagram, uh, reading your blog. and uh, It's my pleasure to have you on, that's for sure. In fact, just thinking about today, you po- you had a post this morning um, where I think you, 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 and your, uh, you and your pals were, were rocking it in the gym. And you were mentioning how sore you guys were getting. Um, you know, is it is are, is is core work and strength work a big part of what you what you do normally, or is this kind of like an ab like an abnormal situation? Um. So when I was younger and when I was training in college, it was much more like part of my schedule. But like with working and trying to get my runs in and things like that, it's not as frequent or often as I would like um so whenever I get a chance to do it I like love sharing it because I think it's such a a really good part of training so yeah I wish I did but unfortunately not as often yeah I feel the exact same way in fact like when you do it at that frequency you're almost guaranteed to be sore every single time yes yeah I'm really sore today so. <laughs> I was like, it's like it's like you never quite get used to the exercises. Like your like your muscle like your muscle doesn't like completely fall off. Like you pick up where you left off, but you never like get in that groove where all of a sudden you're not sore after workouts anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Today it's been pretty rough. Just kind of like even getting out of bed, it was kind of like I couldn't sit up. I had to like roll out of it. <laughs> so that's where I'm at right now. Oh, geez, Louise. All right. So I want to take it all the way back, if you don't mind. So you were a runner at Houston, you did track and field, I'm sorry, the University of Houston, at you did track and field and cross country. But before then, when did when did running start becoming a serious part of your life? 
Um, yeah, so I did run uh, cross country and track at U of H, and then it started to become serious kind of in high school. I ran in, you know, in elementary, um, and then I did like, you know, middle school. But then in high school, I remember maybe after my freshman year, I turned to my coach and he was like, I turned to my coach and I told him I'd really like to run in college and I'd really like that experience. And what he told me was, well, if you really want to, then you're going to have to work really hard. And so I said, okay, I think I can work really hard. And I think that's what I really want to do. And so that's kind of where I really started focusing. I think I was talented, but I didn't really know how good I wanted to be or anything else other than I wanted to run in college. And that was kind of the goal at that point. That's pretty early to say that, especially for a sport that doesn't get like the national publicity of other sports to kind of like pick to figure that out at like age 15. So what about running in college, I guess, attracted you to it? Like, did you know college runners from your high school, your local area? Like what, what got you to that point at such an early age? Yeah, so it's funny. I grew up in McAllen, Texas. Well, far Texas, um, but like one of the major cities that I think people are more familiar with is McAllen, Texas. And so that's like a tiny little town by the very tip of Texas. Um, And so it's like, I was telling my friend earlier today, I was like, it's like Latino utopia. So I didn't, like there was no other runners that I knew of. Um, I knew my mom's head of the family was athletic. My dad played sports in high school. Um, but I felt like that was kind of my way out of that area. And I remember I was like seeing people on TV and, you know, watching the Olympics as a kid, like watching Sydney Olympics and, you know, just kind of being in awe and wonder and just kind of feeling like, you know, if I wanted to get there, then I'd have to make a step and, um, I always felt like, well, maybe it would be, you know, even running in college would be kind of a nice thing to do just to experience a whole nother world, a different side of life. Um, now, did you have, did your, did your folks go to college? Was that kind of like a preordained thing? Like you were definitely were going to college and maybe running something you would do there? Or was it more like using col- using running as a springboard to get to college? Yeah, so my dad always wanted us to go to school. He was like, you know, you're going to go to school, you're going to get a good job. Um, and it, he didn't, it didn't, he didn't really stay where we were going to go. It was just kind of like, you're going to go to school. And so my dad went to like, undergrad, and like, he got his master's degree. So it was kind of expected already, this is what you're going to get as well. Um, so it was just kind of like a known um, understanding. And I felt like, well, if I, I want that too, but I want something of my own as well. Um, so that's kind of how I started to really, I guess, manifest that dream when I was younger. It was kind of like, well, I'm going to do this, but I really love running and I want to do these things. And I think it'd be really great if I ran in college, you know, and just even like watching like track meets and when I was younger and my family and like all of us being around the TV, my dad talking about it and being so excited. Um yeah, it was just kind of something that I was looking at when I was a kid and was dreaming of. So, so, so you say this to your coach. You say, "All right, I want to run in college." And his was it, was it he or she? Your coach? It was a male at the time. Okay. Um, all right. So he says, "You all right? Well, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to work your butt off to get to it." So, what was it like from your freshman year stepping up 
your, your, the next couple of years in terms of what you needed to do to kind of reach that goal? Yeah. So when I was, when I had said this, I think it was like, so cross country teams are made of like seven people, right? Uh, I think I was probably like sixth and seventh person on my team. And I was the freshman and everybody else was older. They were like sophomores and seniors. Um, and I think it, like my times were like 13 and a half minutes, something like that. And so, for, uh, for what distance? It was a two mile at the time. Okay. And it was like, I was in a, a 5A district. I don't know if like, um, maybe this is kind of like a Texas thing, but I was like a 5A district at that time. Um, and so I kind of, knew, I was kind of like, I like data as a person. <laughs> it holds us like looking at the numbers um, and seeing where I kind of fit and things like that. Um, so I knew that I would have to pick up my mileage and it was going to be like a steady thing. Um, so it didn't happen overnight at all. Um, I remember going to practice every day. And at the time I was also a cheerleader. And so eventually like the time came to choose between like cheerleading and running. And again, I, I chose running cause that was like my dream. I wanted to run in college and I wanted to be recruited. Um, and after that, it just kind of like all fell into place. I started running more. I mean, I was doing like six mile runs, maybe like an extra two mile in the afternoon. So really putting in like 68 miles a day. Um, I would do weights, um, you know, eating well, resting, um, you know, and while everybody was like in high school, like going to prom and things like that and um, planning out stuff for college. I was also doing that, but I wasn't going to prom. I wasn't doing all kinds of things that high school kids like to do, like go out with their friends. I was always like home, sleeping, getting ready for a meet. Um, and then I remember my senior year when I was finally getting recruited, um, I actually didn't even go to prom. I ended up going to like a regional meet that day. And so I missed my senior prom because um, I was still trying to like get noticed. So, and kind of make, make my splash. Um, well, how did you, how did you do in the meet? Did it work out? Yeah, I did. I actually, I went to state that year. Um, so it did work out well and I was already being recruited at that time. So I think maybe a week before I went to my regional meet, I signed to U of H. I had finally made up my mind of where I was going to go. And yeah, so everything worked out in the end, but I really had to like sacrifice a lot of things like my social life, um, maybe even school sometimes. So I could like go to bed early and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, so did you sign in? It sounds like you signed in the spring. So you were doing uh, track at that point. Yes. Yes. I was being recruited by like a few schools in the fall. I think, I was, I think I was kind of like one of those kids that just could not make up their mind. Um, I was really like anxious about, you know, where I was going to go. I wanted to go to like a good school and um, make sure I was going to be taken care of and, you know, academically as well. So eventually I signed it at U of H. Yeah. And, and with that, with that, um, with that pledge to U of H, did you have a certain preference or did the coaching staff see you for a particular event in, in track and field or for cross country? Where do they view you long-term at that point in your life? Um, so I was going to go up and be like a 5,000, 10,000 meter girl, um, I guess in track wise. So I knew I was going to be a long distance girl um, right away. I, I, I knew that I wasn't going to do anything else like steeple or anything like that. I knew right away I was going to be like a 5,000, 10,000 girl um, and be on the cross country team and things like that. So, 
Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that in case, like, you know, if I got a fracture, like, what would happen? Like, would I still be okay, like, in school? Like, did they have good academic programs? Like, that was also really important to me because, of course, those were my dad expectations as well at the same time. So trying to satisfy both. Right. And as someone who values education, um, mm-hmm. not just, not just your, your folks, but you, know, you as well. I mean, I swear you have more letters after your name that are actually in your name. So obviously <laughs> right. going to school mattered right. a lot to you. Uh, you're a registered dietitian and nutritionist. Uh, you have a master's degree. And with all of that being said, did you know at that time that that was the field that you wanted to get into or, or uh, how did you approach the academic side of your college search, knowing that running was a huge factor in the school that you were going to choose? Oh yeah. So I think the final deciding thing was like, because Houston is such a medical hub. um, Initially I wanted to go to med school and then my first semester here you know, there's so many new things. I was out of my comfort zone. I didn't have family here. Um, I was like in class because I had like tested out of a lot of courses. So I was, I was like a year ahead almost in hours. Um, so it was like really. So you were the thing. fastest and the smartest. That's just that's just not being nice. <laughs> I mean, come on, give give us give the rest of us a break. Good grief. <laughs> right. It was it was so hard because even like my other um, freshman teammates, they were all in classes together and like I didn't have anybody in my classes. So it was kind of isolating at times. And I think after that first semester, I was like, you know, this is this doesn't feel right. This is not what I want to do. And I eventually went into nutrition instead. So I was in biology and then I moved over to nutrition because most of my credits wouldn't have been lost. And I don't want to try and like scramble and overwhelm myself later on. Um, so I just went into nutrition and that's where it, I kind of, I ended up being, you know, a, a nutrition major and then getting my license. So, and nutrition had always interested me as well at that time um, and just kind of felt like the right thing to do. Yeah. And did you kind of like use yourself as a guinea pig? Kind of, you said it had interested you at that time. Does that mean that you were just kind of like seeing what worked for your body and were trying to be very self-aware about how, how different foods and the like affected you or how, and what ways did nutrition really kind of grab your attention? So when I was younger, um, you know, trying to get recruited, I was basically doing whatever I could, you know, going to bed early, drinking water, and then finally I was like, well, if I'm going to do this and I'm all in, like I say I am, then I have to take care of, you know, what I'm eating. And I want to, I want to do that whilst to where I'm recruited. And um, so, yeah, I started like seeing like which foods worked better for me, how I felt. And at the time too, I was, when I, when I was um, getting recruited my senior year, junior year, I was under a lot of pressure, um, just like academically to where. I would stay up late, do my homework. Um, and I think that stress um, and like eating well and like um, running so much, I ended up losing a lot of weight. And with that, I, when I saw my weight go down and like my eating improve and things like that, I got faster. So I kind of like equated the same thing all together. Like if all these things are coming in sync together, it must be with the nutrition part. Um, and so that's what kind of like sparked a little... I guess, fire to be like, hey, like maybe nutrition is something that I'm really interested in and I love running. So why not? It's going to help me. I'm going to learn and maybe teach a few people on the way. So that's kind of how, yeah, I rationalize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially for people as they get older, where 
you know, you know, when you're younger, I feel like exercise and nutrition, if you're not trying to be an elite athlete, you know, and you're 20 years old, they really don't have a strong correlation. You know, right. in your 20s, it's just kind of like, if you're just like an active person, it's like, whatever, I can be active. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to gain a ton of weight if I'm like fairly active, you know? So me, I'm 37. And like the line that I, um, that resonates most with me is in, um, in the movie Big Daddy, when Adam Sandler says he has a, if he has a chocolate shake, his ass jiggles for a week. And like that, that's, I feel like how my body is now, <laughs> you know, as, you know, as opposed to what it was 17 years ago when I was in mid college. So as you progressed at university of Houston, um, I shouldn't say that when you, when you first stepped, first stepped on the team and after your initial orientation period with the coaches and your teammates and all of that, did you have certain goals that were put out in terms of, um, you know, times or, and or distances that you uh, hoped to kind of like achieve the most in during your four years? Um, so when I was there, I pushed it very like, you know, everything is so new. I don't know. Uh, and I kind of still kind of had that same wonder about running. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I kind of feel this, but I don't know. And so I had that same kind of um, mentality when I was younger. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to feel it out. Um, and I had never really raced 5,000 meter or 5K, anything like that. Um, and I, I remember the summer leading up to it, I was kind of anxious and nervous about it because I was like, well, I really don't know how fast everybody is. Um, and I'm just going to be a freshman, but I know I want to hang in there and I know I want to do my part. And I knew I was going to, I felt like I had to prove myself. So I did all my runs, like all my training, all my, my mileage and things like that. Um, and so I ended up being pretty good. I think it was like second, second girl on the team. There was like another girl that was faster than me, but as a freshman, I came in as like our second man. Um, and I think I was like, maybe a little over 18 minutes for a 5k. Um, and then I remember um, sometime in like indoor season after cross was over, um, you know, running really well and like running like a low 18 minute 5k as a freshman. I remember Tom Telez turning to me. Um, and so Tom Telez is like this amazing jumping coach. And like, you know, he's seen so many athletes. He coached like coach Burrell. And, and I remember him turning to me and saying you know, I think you have a lot of potential to be an All-American. and You have the body for it. You have the work ethic. Um, you have the drive. I see a lot coming from you. And so when a coach like that tells you that, you really, really believe it. Um, and so after that, it was like a switch went off and I became even like more driven and like obsessed with like, you know, my work and like everything I was doing for it. Um, and so I ended up I think as a freshman, I was I was pretty solid freshman. I ran like a seventeen, somewhere in the seventeen thirties for a five thousand meter, and then um, I think halfway through like track season, like sometime in indoor outdoor, my coach was like, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna run the ten thousand meter for a conference, and we like for you to score." And I was like, "Okay, sure, I'm game. You know, I'll do it." Um, again, being the freshman, I wanted to prove myself that I I could do it. Um, I think I ran somewhere like 38 and a half, something like that. And then, um, again, I didn't know anything about 10K. I'd never raced that far. And I remember finishing it being like, wow, I think I could get really, really good at this. And I think I could be a really good 5,000 girl if I just get some years on me and more experience. 
Um, so I really took everything as like a first, really, really as a first time person because everything was so new. I, I couldn't really compare it to anything else. I mean, I would see other girls like I had amazing like girls in my conference, like Becky Wade, Lenny Wade was also in my conference. And, you know, they've been to the trials and Lenny ran for like um, the UK and the Olympics. So I remember seeing them and being like, you know, maybe I could be as good, but it's going to take some years. Right. So that's kind of where I was at by the end of my freshman year. Just kind of like, that was like my, I guess, I set the bar and then it was kind of like, well, maybe sophomore year, I, I have to do better, you know? And so that's kind of how I approached the first year for sure. Right. So basically almost like you, know, you worked your tail off and got to the point after seeing some running, kind of your running results and then coaches who believed in you, you must've felt like, all right, if I just keep working hard, this is all going to work out. Right. right? Yeah. Is that is that how you felt like you were just super optimistic? Like, I know it's not going to be easy, but if I work my tail off like this, I have exactly what I want in front of me if I do what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believed in my work a hundred percent. Like I knew that my work was eventually going to come come from. It. And I think a lot of runners can totally relate to that. Like, you know, if I work really hard, like it's going to eventually show. And, you know, lucky for me, it, it was showing. It was definitely showing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the hope, right? Because mm-hmm. especially you, you have to have faith in the in the in, in the hard work. So I feel like if you don't, it's so hard to get through. Like whether it's that tough workout or if you have a bad race, right? And you're like, all right, I had a bad race, but I'm still gonna stay optimistic about the future. It's like if you don't believe in that hard work, it's like what what do you believe in that's gonna like continue to move forward and try to achieve goals? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and it was so nice because I had, like, amazing coaches at that time around me, um, you know, watching me and, you know, uh, and I had a, a lot of other freshmen around me that were also doing really well. So it was kind of like a little pack that we we were all in and, you know, cheering each other on. And it was a, it was a really good feeling at that time. Yeah, yeah. And then it sounds like, unfortunately, things did not necessarily progress the way you'd hoped. once 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 your once your freshman year ended yeah as as soon as my freshman year ended um yeah so I went to USA Juniors that year I think it was like 2009 so USA Juniors in 2009 I ran the 5,000 meter and I did okay um I didn't do horrible but you know we weren't really training it was kind of like you're on summer break let's just go and run and see what happens and no, I ran okay. But I think it was like more of an ego thing to where I was like, I'm what I didn't do well, as well as I expected. Um, and from that, I think it just kind of ate me up inside. Because um, I didn't, um, you know, there was a lot of girls that were a lot faster. And you know, there's always going to be people who are faster. And I and there was a part of me that was like, well, these girls are younger, like, why are they doing better than I am so it was a totally an ego thing um and it really ate me up that summer and um kind of long story short I you know I fell into a really sad eating disorder um because I was just so obsessed with like being better and doing having faster times and being the best that I could and you know coming back from that and um, yeah, when I came back from fall, I was like a completely different person. 
um, fall 2009, completely different person from the person that finished in spring 2008. I, I couldn't recover. And eventually, I, it was very hard to recover um, for the rest of my collegiate career from my freshman year. So I never really got faster. Um, I never ran any faster times in the 5,000 or 10,000 meter. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really difficult time, but I mean, eventually I came out of it and I'm still running. So I think that's, I think that's probably the biggest gift that's come out of it. Um, really kind of going through those really low lows in college, um, and seeing, like understanding now, like how ego can be useful, but also it can really be hurtful at the same time. And of course, an eating disorder and how that can also affect um, you long-term and, you know, even short-term. Well, thank you for being so open and honest about this, Darla. I really appreciate it. Um, no, just take you, so let's just, if you could take me back to after the race. So is that summer, so say like the month or so between USA juniors and when you head back to campus for the beginning of August camp, mm-hmm. um, what was like, what, what were some of the things that you were thinking about and what ended up, you know, not, not in the moment, but now that like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you can kind of analyze, mm-hmm. you know, what you were thinking and how you were feeling, what, why you think um, you ended up moving in the direction where an eating disorder actually became a possibility for you. Like what were the factors do you think that played a part in that specifically being how you reacted to that disappointment? Yeah. So I think there was like a number of triggers, like, you know, when you go through therapy for one, um, you really like try to figure it out. And I think when I was going through mine, that was like something I really wanted to know. Like I was like, how, how did I get here? Oh my gosh. Um, how do I get myself out? Uh, which is really helpful because I had nutrition and I think, um, as I went into like my recovery, that played a huge role in like why I'm still in recovery now. Um, but the triggers, um, it's a very, it was a very complex thing and all eating disorders are, everybody's triggers are completely different, but like mine stemmed from like number one, I think was, um, everything was new, um, back home, everything was familiar. I, you know, I was, a no one in my family had ever ran at that level. So there was nobody to talk to about it. My experiences, there was nobody to relate, um, I was the first person in my family to really leave home for college. My sister at that time was in law school, but, you know, she had spent most of, like, her younger years after after um, high school back home before she went to law school. So I think that was also a little bit different. Um, pressure academically, for sure, was one. I was in um, more, like, accelerated or higher-level classes as a freshman, so that was hard. Um what else I think acculturation was a big one so I'm I was born in the U.S. um, but my parents my parent my mom was born in the U.S. as well so my mom is first generation American sorry my mom was born in the U.S. so I'm second generation my grandparents on my mom's side were born in the U.S. so I'm third generation on my mom's side and I'm second generation on my dad's side. So my dad was born in the U.S., but his mom was born in Mexico in a little tiny town. Um, and so with each acculturation, um, you become, again, more American than the, than the next one. 
And I think at that time, when I was like younger, I didn't really understand what acculturation was or like anything like that. I didn't know. Back home, it was like Hispanics are the majority of the person. And so when I moved to Houston, Houston is a melting pot of cultures. Um, and I had never experienced anything like that. And for, you know, even though like census wise, Hispanics are like the largest minority in Houston, I felt like a minority for the first time in my life. Um, and so I didn't know how to deal with that. It was the most interesting feeling. Um, so, yeah, I think that one was a hard one to deal with. Um, and really like identifying like what I was like was I Mexican-American was I Hispanic was I Latino like I remember asking my dad being younger and being like dad where are we he's like you're American you know or or you're Mexican but you're also an American you know you're Mexican-American I was like well what is the difference and so really understanding those titles um, was also really difficult for me and I didn't really understand that until I was in college Um, now it's so much easier right but um, before, I think that was a big one, too, my identification. Um, and then... Now, did you, at that time, going through that experience, did you end up gravita- gravitating towards people who had a similar you know, family and ethnic background as you? Or did you find yourself trying to, like, you know, kind of, as you, melt, as you said, Houston's a melting pot. Um, so did you find yourself like trying to like be as outgoing as possible and meet as many people as possible or just kind of like retreat back to retreat's not the right word, but kind of like move back into like that cocoon of like what you found to be familiar? Yeah, so that's also <laughs> that's also really funny. Um uh so being an athlete, it's so hard to like socialize and have a social life when you're a student athlete, like you want to. And it's just so hard because most of your life is like, I'm in class, I'm traveling, I'm at practice, or I'm doing homework and sleeping and eating, right? Um, Either one of those. So being like around other students was like unheard of. It was really hard. Um, So it was really difficult. But when I was in class, like whenever it was like the first day or whenever I was in class, I remember the first science chemistry class I had, I immediately sat next to the first Hispanic person I saw. Um, and so, yeah. And it was really interesting, too, because I remember asking her, and I was like, oh, it's like, are you are you Mexican? And she's like, no, I'm Colombian. And so I even to that, I was, it was completely new to me. Um, so my first, like, Colombian friend, I remember, she was amazing. Um, but, yeah, she it was, like, my first Colombian friend, like, my first Peruvian friend, you know, things like that were so new to me, too. Because uh, all I knew was, like, people were from Mexican origin um but yeah that was like one of the first things um I encountered as well with other like Hispanic cultures um but after that I think like I got a lot better at it especially after my first year um being okay with it um and I think the eating disorder um it almost like symbolizes and almost like a cocoon nature and like you almost retreat back into yourself and kind of hide a little bit because um, you're you're unsure of yourself at that point uh, about who you are. And it's an interesting paradigm or paradox because you have this, as you put it, you kind of like you're cocooned into this um, eating disorder in a way. And yeah. yet during your studies in class and 
all the time you're spending in the library learning about all this stuff, you're studying nutrition. Yeah. So how, so how did you, on one hand, kind of battle these, these demons, and then on the other hand, try to master you know, the science of nutrition and all of its positive and potentially negative effects, depending on which direction you go? Yeah, so I think academically, um, it's a lot of like science stuff. And, you know, we had chemistry courses and like microbiology, we had labs and stuff like that. So it was like, that part was manageable. Um, But I think where most of like, where it really, really started to click and help out a lot was, so we actually take like a counseling course funny enough and I was going through counseling as well at the same time um and therapy um so it really helped too for me to understand like why the therapist was asking me these questions um really kind of trying to understand so I knew that the therapist wanted to help me um and so I was learning from like the therapist point of view but I was also experiencing it firsthand as the patient side Um, And so, of course, like your eating disorder, it wants to tell you all these other things. But luckily, I had the therapist side as well as learning about it um, and being like a counselor and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, I I had a larger appreciation for what my counselor or even my dietitians were trying to do for me. Yeah. Now, did you seek help um, on your own proactively or were you advised to do so at that point? Yeah, so the way that I fell into counseling and coming clean about what was going on um, was, so I had a teammate that actually experienced an eating disorder when she was younger, and she knew all the signs and symptoms, and she told my coach, um, and so my coach told, my coach pulled me in after one track practice, after my teammate saw me throw a muscle milk in the trash, um, he called me into his office and said, hey, I know what's going on with you. And if you don't go to therapy, I'm kicking you off the team. Um, and I was kind of like, I kind of understood what was going on too. Um, but I had never said it out loud and I never told anybody. Um, so I remember obliging to what he said and saying, like, okay, uh, I don't want to be kicked off. Um, I don't want to go back home. Um, And then he told me, okay, you're going to go into therapy. And today you're going to call your parents and you're going to tell them what's going on and why you're going to go to therapy. And if you don't, I'm going to call your dad and I'm going to tell him what's going on. And so um, I was basically forced for good reason to enter therapy. Um, And so that's how I went in. Um, and I didn't want to go home again because it was an ego thing. If I went home, it was because I failed. Um, but then there was also a part of me, the rational Starla, thinking, if you go home, you may die because there's no therapist for you there. There's no resources for you there. And so I stayed. And luckily, I, you know, I still credit University of Houston Athletic Program for what they did because... Um, Eating disorder therapy is so expensive, Um, especially if you get really, really sick. You go into hospitalization or, you know, you have to go into retreat centers and stuff like that um, to get adequate help. 
because a lot of insurances don't cover it. But they paid for all of my services. Um, there's a special fund. And so they paid for everything for me to get better. Um, so I was really lucky being in the best medical center in the world with therapists everywhere. Um, and then going to a school that just cared about my mental health and me, what was going on all the time each semester. Um, and I had people like that were not even my coaches that, you know, one of the financial officers was like, hey, how are you? Um, did you submit, you know, your your application for, you know, your help? Um, and so things like that. So there was a lot of people that really cared about what I was going through at that time. Now, there probably you probably don't have a stat on the top of your head for this question, but how common or uncommon are eating disorders in the running community for that age group? Oh, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I should know this. Um, but yeah, I, I when I was there at University of Houston, um, not everybody had an eating disorder. <laughs> but I would say that there was probably like two teammates that I had to pull aside and be like, hey, you know, are you okay? You know, once I got better, I was like, hey, are you okay? Um, you know, so it's, it's, and it wasn't even like distance runners. It was just like other women that, you know, did different events than I did. Um, and I, I encountered them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know it's common on college campuses, especially for women, almost, mm-hmm. almost, almost exclusively for women. Not that it can't happen to guys, but I think the, the, the overwhelming majority of these cases are for women uh, and not only for varsity athletes, certainly for women uh, you know, across the board. But I think that obviously for athletes, there is maybe even more potential because especially for a lot of sports, being in prime physical shape is a positive and getting to that point, um, you know, it can be a slippery slope for some individuals. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a lot of the pressure too. Like when you're that age, there's a whole lot of new things going on and trying to figure out where you're going to go next. And, you know, I think just being an athlete or even a collegiate athlete, it just adds an extra layer of pressure that, you know, some, some, some people turn to eating disorders like myself to cope with. Yeah. Got it. So for you, it was more of a coping strategy. I shouldn't say strategy, more of a, a, an effect of, trying to cope with things as opposed to trying to, you know, cut weight to be the best runner you could. And all of a sudden you go past a tipping point and then all of a sudden you're in an area you would never want to be. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of exactly how it happened. Um, I used um, losing weight and what my food regimen was like to control things, external factors that I couldn't to control, like internal factors, sorry, that I couldn't you know, control anymore. Um, and eventually it starts affecting me externally and physically um, and affecting like my environment and my life. And yeah, so it was definitely a coping, a coping mechanism that I used to deal with things. It's, it's exactly like a drug. Like if I have an alcoholic and there's a lot of things going on, they use alcohol to cope. And, and you can usually, the difference between alcoholism and eating disorder is that you can live without alcohol but you can't live without food. Oh, so, well said. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that's why eating disorders are also like one of the large highest mortality rates 
um, among, amongst mental health issues um, because you either have people that are dying from eating disorders or, you know, and then they also suffer from depression um, and then sometimes they even commit suicide. So um, that can also happen for some people or they end up dabbling into like narcotics or alcoholism to cope with the eating disorder. So you seem like a whole different things stemming from the eating disorder itself. Right. Yeah. Now did, now did, do you think your eating disorder affected uh, the injuries that played you in the later years in Houston and then uh, post-collegiate running? Yeah. So I've been really lucky um, to not have, I think injuries that have been from eating disorder Um, when I went through my eating disorder, again, I was supplementing a lot. Like I was taking my vitamins. Um, when I first entered recover, when I first entered, um, therapy, I actually had an IT band issue, which lasted a couple months. So I was completely out of my, my indoor and outdoor season, my sophomore year. So I redshirted that. Um, so it was mainly like an IT band issue of overuse. Cause I also became an overexerciser. Um, in an attempt to like lose weight and then think I would get faster. Um, so I became an over-exerciser. Um, and then after post-collegiately, I had a, I had hip bursitis too. So I think that was, what is, what is from... that? What, what is hip bursitis? So there's kind of like a little sack in between your joints and your hip. Um, and it just becomes inflamed. Like the joints, the synovial fluid between your joints it's not as fluid anymore. It's not secreting enough fluid. Um, and so it just causes a lot of friction. Uh, so that's kind of what happened to me. Um, and I think that was mainly, again, um, from from all the running I had done in college. And, you know, after that, when I had finished collegiate running, I had actually done a marathon maybe. So I finished in like 2013 spring. And then I did my first marathon January 2014 so I jumped right away after that into my marathon so I think after that I was kind of like yeah it's about time I had some kind of injury Um, because those are the only two that I experienced Um, and then I kind of had a little bit of um, um, anterior tendonitis as well last fall so I think it's mainly like maybe not strength training enough um I don't have the same resources as I did when I was in college, like having, a, you know, a physical therapist or having a chiropractor and things like that. And then if, since I've been running so long, um, my body just kind of starts breaking down a little bit. So it sounds yeah. like for several years there, maybe even mm-hmm. up to five years there, mm-hmm. that you had kind of like a tortured relationship with running on some <laughs> level. Um, so why is it still such a big part of your life? And I say that because, as you know, as a college runner, there's plenty of college athletes, especially runners, who the minute they graduate, it's like, see you later running, we're done. You know, they kind of move on to the next thing. And yet you obviously didn't go that route, which I find very interesting considering the last two or three years of your college experience. So why do you think you stuck with it um, and not only stuck with it, but no, you you you're an avid blogger um, in this space. So not only do you run on your own, but you also spend a lot of time communicating about running. Yeah. So I think it's just 
at the end of the day, I just really love running. Like, it's been a part of my life since I was a little kid. That's all I know. That's, like, the thing I've been doing since I was a child. Um, and I remember, like, my first race, I remember winning it and that feeling. Um, and I remember, like, how proud I was of myself and everybody being excited about it and my friends being excited. And you still kind of feel that same way, like, when you, feel, when you finish a marathon you still have that excitement leading up to the race. You still feel excited during the race, even though you're tired, even when you finish. And then all your friends and your family are so excited about what you did. Um, and I think it, when I really, really realized that, because I felt, I felt burnt out. Um, you know, I, I admit, I, do, I did feel burnt out, like, my senior year of college. Um, I think this was, like, spring 2012, uh, and I was just, like, ready to be done. And I had just entered recovery, like, a few months before that, maybe, like, two, three months before graduating. I had just entered it. Um, and I didn't really know what was next. Um, I had an extra, like, you know, my spring, the spring that I redshirted, I still had that extra. And I was like, well, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. I applied to grad school, but I don't know if I got in yet. And I remember I... I worked at Whole Foods at the time and that summer before I started grad school. Um, and I still ran. I still ran because it was like, that was the only thing that I knew. And instead of coping with my eating disorder and being in limbo like that, I went back to running. And um, luckily, I I was able to heal that relationship with running um, that summer. And then my coach left, the one that I had for all those years that pushed me into recovery um he left and I remember Steve Steve Magnus um came on as our cross-country coach um and then I got into grad school and I remember Steve sitting down with me and he asked a question you know what do you like about running why are you here um and not in like a mean way but just kind of really wanting to know and being you know the scientist that he is now and researcher yeah, I think he was like collecting data on us now, but uh, he asked me, you know, why do you like, why do you like this? What is your motivation? And I didn't, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I love the feeling of being outside. I love reconnecting with myself and nature. Um, I like the sun and I like the way I feel. I like the way, way running makes me feel um, during my run and after and I like the camaraderie. I like my relationships through running. Because I had the best teammates, too, when I was, like, going through everything. They would take me to, to all my therapy. I didn't have a car. They would take me to my therapy. They would take me to go to the grocery store. They would sit with me when I was injured. Like, those are those are friends. Those are more than teammates. Those are friends. Um, and so I think it was also those relationships that I formed. And I think that's why now I still carry those same, like, simple things, like, this is the way that I feel. This is what I like. Um, it's detached from what I look like because this is how it makes me feel. Um, and I like the relationship that I formed through running. And I still feel that way as an adult. Like all my favorite relationships have come from running. Is that why you're so active now in Girls on the Run? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why. And I think – I. Th- my last coaches in high school were two women and they were best friends. They had the same birthday. They dressed alike. They were awesome. And they really motivated me. And I think 
because I had those female coaches to look up to and encourage me and guide me through my last two years of high school. Um, I don't think I probably would have been recruited the same way. I don't think I would have believed that that I could have done it at the very end. Um, I remember one of my coaches looking at me and, you know, I was going to do the two mile and I was actually, I didn't want to do the two mile. And she was like, don't think about it as, as something for you. Think about it for the team. You can do this and the team needs you. And so I said, okay, I'll do it for the team. I ended up winning and, you know, going into regionals and stuff like that um, by chance, completely by chance. And I think if I hadn't done it for the team, I don't think I've ever would have been as confident after that in my running. Um, so I think girls on the run is like really special because a lot of, I think you spend so much time and you put yourself out there and you're so vulnerable with this person next to you. I mean, you're only going to speak to them eventually after a mile of hearing them breathe, right? You can't fake their existence anymore. You have to say something. Um, and I think even if like they're breathing hard or, you know, breathing easy, um, there's some kind of level of respect there already for this person that's next to you. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think we all know the benefits of, you know, kids being active in sports and, and, and all yeah. of that. And as a father of two, like I definitely push it with my kids, whether it's like we're outside, just like enjoying the outside or like trying to get them involved in sports that they you know, that, that, that I think they might like, and then moving on to things that they actually enjoy yeah, <laughs> as we yeah. progress. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, like, I think we'd be naive not to think that maybe you're getting something out of it too. Like for you, what is the joy of being involved in an organization like that? Um, I think it's also kind of like my way of like full circle. Like, you know, I was a little kid too, and I ran and I went through all these things and, um, you know, I had coaches that cared about me and I was able to receive funds because I was, you know, I was at the right school at the right time. I think I was just really lucky. And, um, again, a lot of people donate to those funds that I have no idea who they are. And so I think that's why, um, I like raising money for them and trying to give back because I have no idea who this girl is, but they may need it. They may not have any friends. They may have low self-esteem, but once they're finally able to be part of this little group of other little girls, they make friends and they're able to run and, you know, be active together and maybe become lifelong friends. Who knows? Um, or maybe their coach is just like this awesome person too. And, you know, encourages them and says something to them that lights them up. Um, we don't know, but I feel like it's something that's, that needs to be more encouraged, especially amongst little girls. Um, I think a lot of times we, we don't encourage that enough, um, especially to be athletes. Yeah. Right. Now, how did you get into the blogging space? Um, I got into the blogging space. So I was like an avid blog reader. Um, so I spent a lot of time alone in college, um, especially with my eating disorder. I spent a lot of time alone, um, and I would read blogs. I would read blogs all the time, even like dietitian blogs. And I remember thinking like, this is awesome. Like I, I want to do this one day. Um, and there was something that kept telling me, 
um, it's not time yet. It's not your time yet. And I'm kind of glad I didn't because I don't, I don't know if I, how I would have shared my life or has been as open, especially being through going through something like that at that time. It just wasn't the time yet. Um, and then I went to grad school and then I got my dietitian license. And during the time I was, I was studying for my dietitian license. I kept thinking like, I want to blog so bad. And when I finish this thing, I'm going to just start writing it. And so when I finished, I remember um, calling my friend and being and asking them, hey, I need your help starting this domain and getting my blog started. So I went and I met him up and we started it the very next day. Um, now, so a lot I- of people start blogs, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people yeah. start <laughs> blogs. Um, however, not many people stick with it. So for you, what was the point? Like, how did you get hooked into it? And was there a line of demarcation where it went from like, this is something I want to do because I've always been a fan of it to all of a sudden you recognizing that people were a fan of yours the way you'd been a fan of others? Um, I think it was more of like, I just kept doing it. And one of my friends was just like, you just have to stick with it. You know, maybe you're, nobody's reading it. Maybe it's just like you're family or close friends but you just have to stick with it and when I met my boyfriend two years ago he's the one that does most of my photos um and he was like hey he's like I love he's like your story is awesome he's like there's a lot of people who could benefit from it and I didn't want to share any of like my experiences like being an athlete and going through everything that I went through and he was like this is something really special you need to share it he's like that's he's like that's something that makes you authentic and that's what makes you the person that you are and people need to hear it um and so once I started sharing more of that I had a lot of people come up to me I've gotten so many messages from people saying you know I went through that too and you know how do how did you feel about it or you know do you have any recommendations on how to stay in recovery or I had other friends that were like you know my sister went through it um I've had even people that in person um you know have heard me talk about it and they're like you know I have one right now and so it's just something that I think because it's so so common or even like body image issues self-esteem Um, A lot of people can connect with it. And I think just being open about, you know, your insecurities. And I think a lot of people just kind of have something to say about it, too. They people don't want to feel like they're alone in that kind of thing. So even though um, I try to exude a lot of body body positivity, um, you know, time to time, I share something that that really sticks out in my recovery, whether it be something really hard or something really positive about it. Yeah, and you share a bunch of other things as well. You got a, kind of a litany of topics that you end up covering, and I loved one of them <laughs> that you put out. You know, not, I won't say recently, a couple months ago. Uh, marathon training groceries must-haves. I was like, that oh, was yeah. like the most clickable headline like ever. I was like, this. I, 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 I got to click on this. Um, <laughs> if for no other reason than it's like this is always, especially for for someone who like does the grocery shopping like I do, like. I'm always thinking about this. Like, I'm always like weighing it out. Like, all right, what are the things that I should buy? And what are the things I'm actually going to eat? 
because there's usually not a lot of crossover <laughs> with those two ideas. So for you, <laughs> for you, what are you don't have to go through the whole list? I know you you had you got a bunch of things on there, but what are some of the like the must-haves that you have um, for your own your own health? Um, so first one is always like peanut butter for sure. I put peanut butter on everything. Um, uh, even like today I made muffins and I ended up putting peanut butter on it. So peanut butter is number one. Um, I would also say like fruits, definitely. I'd like to get like frozen smoothie packs. Um, I get some protein powders, bars. I try to get starches, like things like pasta, rice, potatoes. Um, since I'm vegetarian, it does get a little bit tricky. Um, but I do like to get a lot of beans, like a variety of them, black bean, garbanzo, lentils. Um, tofu is another really big one. Uh, what else? Oh, when you go with when you go with pasta, mm-hmm. do you just do do you alternate or do you try to like go with the whole wheat pasta? There's some that's like low gluten pasta, and there's all different kind of varieties um, that kind of run the gamut on this topic in terms of the kind of starches that are involved in them. How how do you differentiate? Um, so I always choose like whole grain pasta. Once in a while, I'll get like a pea protein lentil one if I feel like it but I'm pretty lucky to where I don't have a lot of allergen issues or like GI issues um so I usually just choose like whole wheat pasta and I like it because I have my vitamins and minerals in there nothing's taken out if it's if it's 100% whole wheat I have my fiber some protein so I usually choose that one yeah and you were you were um in an article on pop sugar about yeah. about um you know just the, the same exact topic about you know what to eat as a runner mm-hmm. and you had an interesting quote about what people should eat post run if they're really focusing on losing weight as part of their running journey would you mind yeah. sharing that too yeah so um a lot of the times like after runs like we can get pier ice cream stuff like that which is totally fine right um, but then I have some people that want to lose weight. So you normally I encourage like clean proteins, depending on when you're running, um, that can vary. Like usually people like to have eggs in the morning. So I usually encourage eggs, things like Greek yogurt, um, turkey bacon, turkey ham. Some people like tuna sandwiches in the morning. That's cool too. Wait, hold on. P- you actually know people who have tuna sandwiches for breakfast? Yeah, some people do. Yeah. Or Get out of here. Oh my yeah. God. That's, that sounds like the most... <laughs> unbreakfast item i've ever heard in my life yeah i'm i guess like their body just really needs it or they're craving something salty savory i'm not sure um i mean i shouldn't i I shouldn't hate on it because i've (laughs) never done it but like that is like if someone said like hey how about this for breakfast i'd be like oh good grief absolutely not yeah i get a few people it's interesting um you know what people really crave in the mornings especially like if they're really hungry they're gonna eat anything uh so yeah i get i get a few people and then usually like um so proteins don't go number one and then like something maybe like a vegetable or like a carbohydrate they can digest right away like sweet potatoes um whole grain bread um you know any kind of fruit anything like that that's gonna absorb really quickly yeah got it yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you have a lot of good stuff on that blog. I'll definitely point, point people to it. It'll actually be in the show notes as well. That's www.starlashines.com. Yes. Um, 
you got a lot of stuff on there as well. Starlet, before we get into the last quick questions that I'd like to ask all of our guests here on the show, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really enjoyable. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, all right. So let's get into the last few. All right. So when you're out on a run, are you wearing headphones or no headphones? Um, no headphones. Before I used to, but when I started training for Boston, um, no headphones. And I'm kind of glad especially after all the rain we had. So, yeah, no headphones now. Yeah, that was a disaster. That's for sure. Um, all right. Advice you give others, uh, specifically running or and or nutrition advice, since you uh-huh. are uh, a nutrition, a dietitian. Mm-hmm. Um, so advice that you give others, but that you have trouble following. Oh, that's hard. That's a good question. Um. I would say, yeah, practicing with your food and your long runs, especially leading up to your marathon, that's one. Um, I think I have, like, quite a bit of experience just from, like, all the running and competitions and races I've done. I don't really practice very much with it. I should. Um, but, yeah, definitely practice, especially with your hours, different bars, different gels, gummies. Um, definitely practice on it um, every long run you you can yeah every four hours three hours just to kind of test it out all right now if you could only run one more race for the rest of your life but you could run it every year what race mm-hmm. would it be Ooh, that's a hard one i've only done houston and boston so there's so many i haven't done yet but... It doesn't have to be a marathon. It can be any race. <laughs> uh, that's true. That's true. Um... Oh, my goodness. All right. We can get back to it. Let's just let that yeah. marinate for a second. We'll, okay. sit, we'll, put that in that, we'll put that in your subconscious. We'll kind of flip the script. We'll go, all right, What is what bucket list race are you most excited to check off the list? I would love to do London. Yeah. Okay. Why London? It's the hardest one to get into. um, And it's always like right after Boston. So you always have to kind of choose which one you want to do. But I would say London. I'd like to get into London. Yeah. All right. Now, who is your dream running partner? Leo Manzano. Yeah. Leo Manzano. Yeah. He is a new one. No one has picked Leo Manzano. That's for sure. So why Leo? Um, he's another Hispanic guy. Um, I really admire what he did in 2012. Um, you know, I've been following him since I was in high school. Yeah, when he was like at UT, I remember opening up the newspaper and my dad being like, "Hey, like this guy, you know, you could you could be him one day." You know, so it's kind of like a really special thing. Um, I would love to run with him. Yeah, and I remember when he won in 2012, it was amazing. And sometimes I go back and, like, I, I watch that that replay. Um, another one I would probably say would be, like, Dina Castor. I remember watching her, too, and I cried. I remember watching her, and I cried. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I love watching Leo Manzano YouTube clips of his <laughs> races. They're always exciting. Yeah, and he just seems like a really, like, down-to-earth person. Um yeah, just like wants to do great. And I you know all runners do, but 
yeah, I think even though he's like a 1500 person, just kind of like getting getting to know like what he's thinking about and how he works and stuff like that would be interesting. All right, so we're going to return to that one question before we head out. One race, the rest of your life, but you could do it every year. Which one are you choosing, Starla? Um, I think after London, I would like to do Berlin. So I would say Berlin. Okay, got it. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on today. Excited. Excited to hear it. All right. My pleasure. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Thank you, Starla, for coming on the show. This was uh, really good. I really appreciated your candor, your frankness, talking about a topic that can be a little difficult and sometimes even very difficult for people to dive into. So this was fantastic. And thank you for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If there's any topics or people you wish I would talk to or talk about on the show, please feel free to reach out. You can reach me on Instagram. My handle is rambling underscore runner. You can also email me at ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you. And even if I don't, I hope you have a wonderful day and happy running.